Well, today we want to continue our uh, study uh, on uh, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and uh, last night we were talking, of course, about repentance and uh, what it means and, and all of that. And so today we want to talk a little bit about the fruit of repentance, focus a little bit on, on, uh, on that. Uh, what, what is the good news of repenting, you know, after uh, we bear our soul to God and perhaps even to others and we return and we talked about uh, what that means, what returning means. We talked about that last night, what repentance means, uh, barriers to it, uh, what we do when we uh, repent. And we said last night that, you know, repenting is an act of the will. It's something that uh, we're driven to do, that, that we desire to return to God. And we looked at a number of passages in the Tanakh and in the New Covenant Scriptures uh, uh, where the call is to repent. It's quite clear that across the boards, whether we're talking about the Torah, the prophets, uh, or the New Covenant uh, scriptures, that there is a call uh, indeed to repent. And we said last night that repentance is certainly uh, more than thinking it, right? That uh, even though uh, we may say that in the, in the Greek it means to change your mind, the, the thinking, though, is what was in the Tanakh. You know, it's, that when they're talking about repenting, they're talking about, about not only a, uh, a change of mind, but a change of action, a, a physical movement, one might say, uh, you know, uh, uh, back to God. Uh, and so this morning, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, some other aspects of that, the fruit of it. So in the, um, first of all, just going back for a second, to Deuteronomy chapter 30, which was, uh, it just worked out so well that that was last week's Torah portion, and uh, in the chapter 30, you have the word shuv used like four different ways uh, in, uh, you know, in uh, Devarim uh, in chapter 30. Uh, certainly, we're familiar with a return, you know, when it says in verse 2, you shall return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul. So it's not return. And then, you know, there's option one, obey him. Uh, no, uh, to return is to obey him, right? With all of our heart and soul, uh, to live out the Shema, right? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, uh, with all of our soul, with all of our might, God, with, with every bit of us. That is, in essence, what repentance, uh, what repentance is. So, as it says here in Devarim, in chapter 30, in verse 2, Return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart, according to all that I commanded you. And that's why we have to constantly be returning. Because, let's face it, sometimes our guard is down. Sometimes we do something that we know is not right, that is not in accordance with the will of God. So we need to return. Uh, and the wonderful thing is that he's always standing there with open arms waiting for us to return. But then also we said in verse 1, when it says in the middle of the verse, uh, you know, uh, well, I'll just read the whole verse. It shall come to be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind. That's also shuv. Like when you come back to your senses, that is uh, very interesting right here in Deuteronomy when you call them to mind, when you, come, you, know, when you have clarity in your thinking, uh, is uh, shuv. 
But it's not enough. Not only call them to mind where you are, but from where you are, return. Not just stay where you are and think, yeah, that's, that's good. You know, I'll, I'll take that. That's good. But no, return, come back, right? Uh, and then, very interesting, in verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore you. That is also shuv. <laughs> so that's when, when God turns, one might say here, he restores. So that's very important. When we talk about the fruit of uh, the uh, one aspect of the fruit of uh, repenting is restoration from the point of view of, of God. God restores. You know, when I was driving over here this morning, I thought to myself, I forgot to ask someone to, about this, but I was going to demonstrate this by like unplugging something, you, you, you know, but I am scared to death to unplug something. So I'm not going to do that, right? But I thought I would unplug something and then uh, maybe the sound would stop or I, I don't know what, you know. Uh, but that's kind of like when we don't repent, it's like we're pulling out the plug. And when we repent, when we return, by an act of our will, we embrace the Lord and, and return and he empowers us to stay on the road. It's like plugging it in. You see, we cut ourselves off from the power of God, even if he lives within us. We cut ourselves off from the power of God, not from our eternal destiny, not from the assurance of our salvation, but from the power of God, from the power of the Ruach, when we don't repent. When we live, some, some of us, let's face it, like I said last night, we live just very mediocre lives as believers and we just don't repent. We just sort of say, I'm kind of comfortable where I am, you know, and I know the Lord and I read my Bible, uh, but we're not really experiencing renewal. We're not really experiencing restoration. Maybe it's because we're just keeping it all inside. Maybe because of pride uh, or something else, but we, we don't really uh, repent. And so how necessary uh, that, uh, that is. So restoration, right? What Restoration. Clarity of mind, returning, being restored. Now, in the New Covenant, though, we have some specific uh, places, some very specific passages that help us to understand the fruit of repentance. So, fortunately, right in the good news, and I decided to use uh, Luke because he articulates it a little more, in Luke chapter 3, Yohanan, John, when he's immersing people, you know, bringing people to the mikvah, right? It says here in verse 8, well, here, I'll read verse 7. He therefore began saying to the multitude who were going out to be immersed by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, that God is able to, from these stones to raise up children of Ab to Abraham. And also the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitude were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? You know what they're asking him? Well, then what do you mean by, you know, bearing fruits keeping with repentance? What are you talking about? Okay, so now he's going to answer them. And he would answer them and say, Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none. 
And let him who has food do likewise. And some tax gatherers also came to be immersed. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. So this is very interesting. This is part of what it means to bear the fruit of repentance here. We have a wonderful illustration. So the first thing is, he says, he gives them a warning. Don't rely on your upbringing. Uh, don't rely on your biology. Don't rely on your uh, ethnicity. So that means then one could say that bearing the fruit of repentance, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, uh, you know, is not having the false understanding, having clarity of mind, and having understanding that in this case here, it's just because I'm Jewish, just because I'm Jewish doesn't mean that automatically I have the right relationship with God. It also doesn't mean just because I attend a Beth Messiah congregation, I have a right relationship with God. It also doesn't mean uh, there that uh, because I uh, did Ancestry.com and I have 13.5% uh, uh, Ashkenazi, European, uh, whatever, uh, that I'm right with anything. Well, I'm right with God or, or whatever, right. Uh, no, okay? Uh, it doesn't mean that because I teach Shabbat school, uh, I have a right relationship with God. It doesn't mean that uh, because I uh, um, am real knowledgeable in the Word uh, that I have a right relationship with God. No. Uh, very, very important. So very important that we have the uh, clarity that fruit in keeping with repentance is not based on where we come from. Okay, Even though where we come from may be important, obviously it's important, Obviously, it's important to understand that Israel is still, you know, uh, the chosen people, covenant relationship, and, and all of that. Very important to know that whatever our ethnic background is, very important, and God uses it, redeems it, and very, you know, great to uh, uh, be identified in our ethnicity and, and all that that means, but it doesn't have to do with bearing fruit of repentance, or being in a right relationship with God. So then he goes, that's why they say, so what should we do? Then what are you talking about? If it doesn't have to do with all that, then what are you talking about? And so he says some very practical things here. Okay. So first, he says this, let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none, and let him who has food do uh, likewise. Well, you know, it doesn't take a lot of interpreting to understand what he's saying here. He's saying, take care of vulnerable people. Care for those who are poor. Take care of people who have none. Right? Uh, and so how important uh, indeed uh, is that? So fruit of repentance is caring for people. Very similar to what you read in the prophets. Right? Uh, widows and orphans, uh, you know, people that are vulnerable, people in need, 
that the fruit of one aspect of the fruit of repentance is doing the right thing ethically and morally. And he uses this as an example. Okay? Uh, then uh, he says here, some tax gatherers come to him. By the way, uh, let me just say one other thing. When the multitudes, the people in general ask the question, it's take care of those who are in need. But then, when then there's two specific groups of people that ask him, what should we do? Like, what should we do? And these are people who in themselves are uh, kind of important, you know? You have tax gatherers, and they say, and he says to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Right? So we know that uh, tax gatherers uh, were not uh, the best here, uh, you know, in their ethics and in their morals, and they would gouge people. Uh, and so he says, he doesn't say quit. He doesn't say don't collect any taxes. He says, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Okay? So this is uh, certainly very important. Don't cheat people. Uh, if we were going to make the application across the boards uh, today, don't cheat people. Uh, certainly in your uh, business dealings, uh, if we're going to be real specific, but in general, don't be a cheater. Be honest. Very, very important. Now, there's a great example here of someone like this. It's a little bit later in Luke. It's in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, right? So it's very interesting when you read it. It's a few verses here at the beginning of Luke chapter 19. Speaking of Yeshua, it says, And he entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. And he was trying to see who Yeshua was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Yeshua came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Whoa. And he, and he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Remember last night? We read in chapter 15, same grumbling. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Yeshua said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And so we see Zacchaeus gives this testimony that is very much in line with what John says in, uh, in chapter 3. Right? This is the fruit of repentance. Zacchaeus does not uh, have salvation because simply he gave half of his possessions to the poor and, and gives restitution four times as much of anything he's taken. It's not because he does that, but because he's bearing the fruits of repentance. This is a demonstration of the fact that he believes in Yeshua, 
that he trusts in Yeshua. It's a demonstration of, uh, of repentance. Then uh, we read about these soldiers. What about us? What shall we do? Now, this is interesting. He says, do not take money from anyone by force. No extortion. No uh, browbeating. No uh, uh, using power to take advantage of people. So what's interesting about the tax gatherers and the soldiers, the way that uh, John answers them is they're, all, they're, they're greedy, <laughs> basically. They're greedy. And they do different things that are really bad to get money from people using their occupation, using what they do. Uh, and so here you see that the fruit of repentance isn't just memorizing more Bible verses, right? Or I've learned how to fast really well, uh, but know that I'm ethical in my business dealings and I'm moral in the way that I treat people. Ethics and morality are a very important part of spirituality how we live, what we do. What we do the rest of the week plays a very important role in, in what we do, Lord willing, on, uh, on Shabbat. Very important for us to, as Abraham Heschel uh, said, that we need to create an awareness of God all the time. Cultivate, not create. Cultivate an awareness of God all the time. Be aware of the glory and the wonder of God 24-7, recognize that know before whom you stand applies not only when you're in a synagogue that has know before whom you stand embedded in the wall, but every day, every moment, know before whom you stand. Now, how is this, a, we could say then, how is this a fruit of repentance? What is good about this, right? What's good about this is that uh, it, uh, it, it, first of all, is helpful to people around us, right? So part of the fruit of, of repentance is giving dignity to people. Part of the fruit of repentance is treating people well. If treat, people are treated well, it is better for all of us, right? It is uh, allowing people to experience uh, a dignity and honor. Uh, it is allowing people to live well. Can you imagine if the whole world repented and bore this kind of fruit of repentance the world would be a very different place. And so you may work in an office or a factory or in a school or at home and your deportment, your spiritual deportment can make it better for everybody, including yourself. So how important is it on Rosh Hashanah when we come before God and, and repent that we're talking about the way we conduct ourselves uh, in our lives. Uh, it's not only a case of God restores us and gives us a sense of well-being because now we're on the right road, but being on the right road is good for everybody because it means we treat people well. It means we treat people well. And so what does he say? Now, he says something else here. To uh, He tacks it on at the end of this little section where he says to the soldiers at the very end of it, be content with your wages, right? Be content with your wages. Contentment. So we could say that an, an aspect of the fruit of repentance is contentment. 
where we're at in life, where we're at, you know, in, uh, uh, in, in our lives, and that we're not just simply, you know, uh, after uh, sort of chasing the carrot, one might say, right? So there's some very uh, interesting passages about this in the Bible. One is in first in the Brit Chadashah, in First Timothy chapter six, we read these verses, beginning in verse six. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. I would share the obvious illustration, but you all know it, right? Right. And if we have and if we have food and covering. With these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance and gentleness isn't it great that it's then the next verse is where he says fight the good fight of faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses so here he's saying to uh timothy right uh, and then by way of extension to uh to all of us there's nothing wrong of course with money and things of that, uh, like that. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't know anybody that, well, I, well, no, I really don't know anybody that takes an oath of poverty. Okay. Some do. I haven't, right. I don't know about you, but if we have a passion for making money and that we see ourselves perhaps our worth or I, I just as the central focus of our lives, figuring out how to make the next buck, we're in big trouble. It will take us off of the Derech Adonai. And, uh, and, uh, and there you go. And you know, whether we're talking about um, money or sexual immorality, the two real biggies, right? That uh, to this day uh, are, uh, are snares and temptations uh, that take us off of the uh, way of the Lord. This one in particular, when he's talking, you know, when John is talking to the, uh, the tax gatherers and the soldiers, it's interesting his focus there on money and on, on how, how uh, wealth is made in not such a good way. So part of the fruit of repentance is satisfaction. Satisfaction where I am in life. Being honest, being moral, being ethical. Having integrity, you know? I turn with me to Psalm 15 for just a second. Psalm 15. Psalm 15 answers a question that's asked at the beginning of it Who may abide in thy tent? Who may dwell on thy holy hill? In other words, what's acceptable to you, God? Look what it says He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. 
He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. These all could be classified as the fruit of repentance, living, uh, living indeed this way. You know, when you think about this kind of person, wouldn't you want to be friends with this kind of person? Wouldn't you want to have association with this kind of person? You know, who from the inside out has this kind of integrity? Absolutely. This is the fruit of, of repentance. Living well. And when we live well, the people around us live well. See? And so uh, we see that this is part of the fruit of repentance. We could call it actually, you know, living freely. Freedom. Not being uh, entangled. Uh, not being bound uh, to a way of life that's detrimental to ourselves and others. That is part of the, the, uh, the fruit of uh, repentance. Okay? There's more. There's always more. Right? Okay. When the, there's another great example, and it also happens to be in the Gospel of Luke, in the 15th chapter. We mentioned it last night. We want to talk about it just a little bit more. The prodigal son returning, Luke chapter 15. So here in verse 11 of uh, chapter 15 of Luke, it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. So first he's like really enjoying himself. You know, uh, let's not misunderstand. You know, he doesn't immediately leave home and now everything's lousy. He is living the high life. He's living the good life, right? Uh, so to speak. But when the money ran out and he's hungry, and he begins to experience need, now bad things begin to happen. He went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into, a feed, into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. So, you know, uh, you know what's rather interesting uh, else about this? Sometimes... Going back to this loose living, you can conjure up whatever thoughts you have about what loose living is. But oftentimes, when people, we would just say, are living just a loose living kind of life, you go from one thing to the next, one high to the next, one experience to the next. And maybe you have a lot of money at the beginning, but there isn't really a sense of, oh, I'm going to invest it. Or I'm going to save for the future. But generally speaking, when people live that way, they make money and spend the money. Make it and spend it and look for the next way to make money. And it's kind of interesting. I'm just, as I'm reading it, I'm just thinking here that, uh, you know, he lets the money run out. He spent everything. He doesn't think well, you know, about saving any of it. He's just living for the moment, living in the moment. I got it, I'm going to spend it, right? 
And now he's in need. And now uh, we see in verse 16, and he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. Isn't that, I mean, pause there. That's pretty bad. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, kind of reminds you of Deuteronomy chapter 30. When you're in the foreign land, because, you know, you were exiled, and you call to mind, you know, what is right and what God had said and what God's promises are, then return to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of what you see here. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough to eat and I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. He, he does exactly what we said last night. He removes himself from the situation. That is part of repenting, returning, physically, literally returning, coming back, right? With the mindset of contrition. What does God love? A broken and contrite heart, right? And so uh, he comes back. He's contrite. Now it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Look what his father does. He runs to him. He is active. That is what God does for us. And Lord willing, what we do for one another. He doesn't just stand there and wait. No, he runs up to him. And you see, he felt compassion, ran, he embraced him, he kissed him. He is active in the restoration. He's active in the return. You see what happens when we repent? We unleash the love, the power, the experience of, of God. That's what happened when the son decided to come home, even before he got all the way home. And the son said to him, and he says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer to be worthy to call, be called your son. So in this repentance, he's doing two things. He says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Right? So he sinned against God and I've sinned against you. So when he repents, he's not only, re he's re it's like a simultaneous repenting to God and repenting to his father. He, in the physical returning home, he has an attitude, a godly attitude of I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. That's real repentance. Both. Both and. And oftentimes, when we go off the right road, other people are affected just like what we just said about in the fruit of repentance, people are affected very positively in the fruit of repentance. But the fruit of sin, people get hurt. Oftentimes, people get hurt. And so when we repent, we need to go to those folks as well as to God and recognize we sinned against God, we've sinned against people. Okay? All right. So what does the father say? The father says to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf killed and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to be merry. So just like the sheep and just like the coin, God and the angels rejoice when a lost sinner repents. 
and comes back and is found. But here we see that everybody is happy. Everybody's rejoicing when the son returns. But notice what the father does. He puts, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. That, don't skip over that. He brings restoration to him. He restores the dignity of this son who was looking for pig food just before it. He restores the dignity of the son. That's what happens when we repent. So we could say, for us, when we repent, the fruit of it is not only how it affects others, but we become restored to the way that God desires that we be. Remember we said last night, it's either to where we once were or to where we haven't been, but where we were supposed to be, right? Uh, and so we see the fruit of repentance is dignity. The fruit of repentance is the, is the joy of God and the joy of those in the, in the community. And I certainly hope, you know, this was actually written to the son who stayed home. You know, the, this uh, parable is written to the son who stayed home, if you read the whole chapter, right? In order uh, uh, to explain to them that it's okay for Yeshua to eat with the sinners, don't grumble, be happy. Hey, anyway, right? Don't grumble, be joyful that sinners are returning to, to God. And so we who are sitting here in these pews and are members and regular attenders of Beth Messiah, we need to see ourselves in all these different ways. We need to see ourselves as the sinner repenting, and we also need to see ourselves as the people who are joyful when somebody returns. And, and we really need to embrace that uh, and appreciate that. So you have a, so we could just say uh, a restoration of relationships, okay, when it comes to uh, the prodigal son. Now, you know, there's something else here uh, that I wrote down. Perhaps, you know, we don't know. Uh, there's a rest of the story here that we don't know about the prodigal son. What don't we know? We don't know uh, how it went with his older brother as time went on. Uh, you know, uh, Lord willing, uh, the, uh, the part of the fruit of uh, repentance was restoration of relationships even with the brother. Now, we don't read about it, but it is something to think about. And sometimes those things take time, right? Perhaps the, uh, the prodigal had wounds of memories that were really horrible, horrific, that might have taken time for him to uh, be healed of. We don't know. But one thing is for sure, the father was going to see it through with him, right? And hopefully in the body of Messiah, we see it through with each other. No matter, uh, no matter what it takes. And that, indeed, you know, is uh, uh, restoration. And that is uh, deliverance. Now, this issue of, uh, uh, of forgiveness, certainly the father here has forgiven the, the son. Uh, and the son comes with, as we said, is contrite and comes to, the, you know, uh, comes to the father and says, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. You know, Yeshua uh, speaks about this very uh, clearly in the fifth chapter of uh, Matthew about forgiveness. And this is really uh, 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 very important for us on this particular day because during the 10 days 
between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, these days of awe, are not only days of introspection, are not only days of, uh, you know, uh, letting God search us so that we can be restored, but also we're supposed to go to people and ask forgiveness uh, and have relationships restored. So in Matthew chapter 5, we read uh, here, in verse, uh, beginning in verse 21, no, I'll go down to verse 23, we'll save a little time. Verse 23, if therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown in prison. So, you know, verse 25 is very helpful to us because it tells us that the person who's presenting the offering and, and here and remembers that your brother has something against you, they have something against you because you did something, okay? Uh, and so very important, if there's a need to repent to someone, you need to go and do that before you bring the offering, before you go to worship, right? So if we're really repenting, it cannot be really just this private thing if in any way it affects other people. If it affects other people, you got to go and repent to them. That's part of the physical act of returning, is asking for forgiveness. And isn't it interesting that our ancestors made that a very uh, uh, important cornerstone kind of thing on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? In other words, what the rabbis were saying is, if you're going to be forgiven by God, you need to be forgiven by other people. Wow. Isn't it interesting how, uh, you know, Yeshua says this, and actually his contemporaries, uh, rabbis, his contemporaries, basically taught the same thing. What is marvelous and wonderful is that in Yeshua, we know that he came into this world and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And he has, he has actually taken the debt upon himself. And so how marvelous it is for us to know, to have an assurance of forgiveness that empowers us to repent. It empowers us to go to people and ask forgiveness. And hopefully, uh, it empowers us also to go to people uh, and say to them, I have to talk to you about this because you offended me. That helps people to repent. Because if they don't know, then uh, there is this debt that can't, be resolved. And so sometimes we have to help people by sharing with them how, sharing with them the offense uh, so that uh, there is the uh, reconciliation, right? So restoration of relationships, release from bondage, freedom, these are the fruits of repentance. You know, and then just the last thing that we read in several other places in the New Covenant about fruit, right? We read about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, uh, long-suffering, all those things. Those are relationship builders, you know? Uh, when we live that way, the fruit of the Spirit uh, and the fruit of repentance, uh, one could say part of the fruit of repentance is demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, right? Right? And then we read in John chapter 15 
about how he is the vine and we're the branches, and apart from him we can do nothing, and he abides in us, we abide in him, right? We be at home in him, and he in us. Again, this is the fruit of, uh, of repentance, is being filled with the Ruach, being filled with the Spirit, and walking in the ways of God. Well, there's a lot more, certainly, uh, that we could say about this. But I hope that we might recognize that, in a way, one if we could just sum the whole thing up in a word, we could say that the fruit of repentance is transformation, a different way of life, a different way of handling ourselves, whether we're at work or whether we're at home, no matter where we are, uh, in all of our relationships and our relationship with God that there can really be empowerment and there really can be transformation. And it is indeed what God desires and what God offers when we repent, when indeed we return.